Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Come on, give Jesus a hand. One great, incredible year. Yeah, come on, church. Thank you, Lord. Wow, we did it. We did it. Can we do two? Do I hear three? All right. You know, I grieve for those who are not here today and they were in the video. They'll just never know. Looked around, some of them probably mad. You know, I don't know. I didn't see them in a while, but anyway. I want to thank uh, Pastor Lauren, our children's pastor, for sending those pictures. Uh, I, I thank her with some apprehension because she put the chiffon pictures in there uh, from Noah's. And she did that on purpose. She's ornery. And uh, uh, Lauren, um, we'll fire you today and rehire you Tuesday. Uh, she sent the pictures to, to Pastor Mark, a worship leader, who put that together. And I want to thank them. Give them a hand. They did that like in the last minute. We got a great team, great team of people. You got you got some really uh, wonderful people who are just as jacked up as you. It's great. They really love you. I guess like begets like. We just love each other, right? We're glad you're here. We're doing a series on perseverance, and some of you had to persevere to get here today, especially if you have babies who threw up on you about the time you're walking out the door. You persevere all those different things to get to the house of God. Uh, we do endure things, and, and some of you endure, you know, you're married to someone who doesn't like sugar. They call it Satan's food. I think it's from heaven, the sugar cane, God created it. Uh, but, you know, there's this big kick on in health food nowadays, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing. There's a couple 85 years old and uh, uh, been married 60 years and died in a car crash. But before they died, the last 10 years of their life was absolutely phenomenal because of the wife's interest in health food. But uh, after their death, they showed up at the, the pearly gates, and there was St. Peter, sure enough, to greet them, as they had heard would happen uh, growing up in their life. And he quickly took them by the hand and led them to their mansion. And, and they were shocked. It was as what the Bible said, that there would be mansions in heaven, and they, they saw it from the outside, and they just couldn't imagine what it looked like on the inside. It was so beautiful. And they walked in. It was just so beautifully decorated. It was just amazing. And then because St. Peter knew her love for, for health food, he, he took her in the kitchen and said, you know, look at all these appliances. You've got juicers, and you've got blenders, and you've got the ninja blender. I mean, we, we got you set up here. And then he takes them from there and he walks them into the master suite. And it's gorgeous. It's out looking out. The windows are looking out on this beautiful landscape. And, and then he takes them in the, the bathroom and there's a jacuzzi tub. I mean, it you know, and the men, you know how men are. He looked at St. Peter and said, how much is this going to cost? Peter looked back at him and said, this is heaven. It's free. So they took him from there, took the couple from there to out their back porch and walked a little ways and they were on the golf course. Their house backed up to the golf course. And Peter looked at him and he said, you can play this every day. You have complete privileges to play this course. And not only that, but once a week, we change the course to represent all the great courses on earth that you've enjoyed or ever wanted to play. 
the husband looks at me, I just can't believe this. What are the green fees? He said, don't you remember? This is heaven. It's free. So they walked to the clubhouse and they walked in. And there were all this, this buffet of foods from all over the world. It was just absolutely amazing. And uh, St. Peter said, you can, you can eat whatever you like, as much as you like. And you never get fat or sick. The man quickly, because of his wife's cooking, looked and said, Peter, where are the low cholesterol foods and low fat foods? I told you you don't have to worry about that. The man got upset, looked at his wife, and he said, if it hadn't been for you and those stupid brand muffins, I'd have been up here ten years ago. Sometimes we just have to persevere. And he persevered. And sometimes, you know, we put off things. We look at heaven and we, we wonder what it's going to be like. I think it's going to be kind of like that. So what was I thinking? But while we're here, we're called to be an example of Christ. And no one represented perseverance greater than Christ. His life was filled with opposition, filled with resistance, filled with hatred and mockery. And yet he had done nothing wrong. And I can only imagine how difficult it might have been for him to day in, day out, week in and week out for those three years of ministry that he, he just wanted to say, you don't understand. I am the son of God. I have never sinned. I've never done anything to you. And yet he didn't do that. He just went around doing good and healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. Now, let me tell you something. That's perseverance. When you can look in the face of opposition and criticism and you can continue to move forward without hesitation, that's perseverance. In between worship experiences, I was in the lobby and uh, just meeting people. I, I love, don't you love our servant leaders out there? I'm trying to scare me today. It did. I, I thought we were having gang wars in the lobby. There were so many greeters. I mean, you could not get past our greeters without, I mean, it was like an obstacle course. I mean, they were touching everybody, loving everybody. Some of y'all probably got scared and went back to your car. I don't know. And thought, well, I'll go give it another shot once service starts. I can't even get to the dadgum sanctuary because there are too many people hugging me. I loved it. I'm so thankful for you. I'm telling this the way church ought to be. Ought to, people ought to feel loved when they drive up. Some of y'all need to go out in the parking lot. If I wasn't preaching, I'm such a competitor. If I wasn't preaching, I'd be in the parking lot. Let me just tell you my human fleshly reason why. I want to be the first one to touch them. The rest of y'all get the dregs. I got them first. And then when they say, I'm coming back because I remember that man out there in the parking lot. Come on, Jesus. And so we need people out in the parking lot uh, waiting on people to get out of their car, almost freaking them out. But anyway, I was in the lobby fighting through all the greeters, and you'll be degreeted when you leave. They'll be out there waiting. You don't think you're going to get out of here without another hug and a handshake. That's not going to happen. You'll have to go home and shower. So I was talking to a lady, and she said, uh, she said, you know, which I just greet her talking about work or something. She said, I have the greatest job. And, I mean, this lady... She's not here and hopefully not watching online. She looked like she could be retired. And, um, I mean, you know, 40, 50. Uh, 
And, and so she said, I just love my job. She said, I have the greatest boss in the world. You know how many times I've not heard that? And I looked at her and I said, let me tell you something. That is perseverance at its finest. And when I say that, not because he's a good or bad boss, but because here's someone who gets up early every day, fights the traffic jams of the metropolis, Oklahoma City, to go to work. And I said, God honors people who honor those in authority. Now, the reason I share that with you is because most people get caught up in the office gossip and the office criticism of those in authority. You know what I hear them called? Well, I work for the man. You ought to be thankful for the man. You got a job, J-O-B. You get a paycheck. And see, in our attitude in America, we feel so entitled that, that we don't want to persevere. We got medications for everything. Why should I have to persevere? Because it brings glory to God, because Christ persevered so that you and I could be born again. It's, it's a part of being a Christian. In the world, you have tribulation. Take courage. I've overcome the world. You have difficulty. Turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to Luke chapter 11. Because some of y'all have quit too early. You've stopped. You've, you've given up. You've given up hope. And I want to challenge you today with this message. Do not give up hope. You've heard the old saying, winners never quit and quitters never win. And it takes something to persevere through difficulty. And most people who have risen to high positions and high levels have been people who've learned how to persevere with good attitudes. Your boss may be nothing short of an idiot, but he's still your boss, which means in some ways he's smarter than you are. Ooh, that did not sail. <laughs> Evidently, all the bosses were here at 930. Ah. Luke chapter 11, verse 2. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, right on the heels of that, he comes with this, this story. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children and me are in bed, I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now, some of you all play on friendship, and when somebody who's a friend doesn't honor the friendship like you think they should, you quit. Not this person. They said, because I need three loaves. I've got a guest and I'm out of food and I've been surprised. Now I'm here to surprise you. And I am not going to quit knocking until you get your booty out of Betty. Not going to do it. So he says he would give it to him. Why? Because persevering people are persistent people. You don't give up. You don't quit. Now, the reason many people quit is they don't have a cause. You and I have to possess a cause that's greater than our care. 
Causes have to be greater than cares. In other words, if you rally your thoughts every day around concerns and fears and cares, you will never be able to persevere. You will crater to the criticism, you'll crater to the fear, you'll crater to the lack of hope because you don't have a cause greater than your care. And this is so absolutely important for us. So if I were to ask you the question today, what are you for? Some of you would say, well, what do you mean? Well, what are you, what are you for? What are you, what are you positive about? But if I ask you what you're against, because religion historically has made us against things instead of for things. You know, if you went to a Church of Christ and you had an Assembly of God person, you think they're not even saved, you're against what they believe. And yet, the same Jesus that you're preaching. So we need to be for them, not against them, because of the sign and the difference in expression. I know that that's not as prevalent today as it was when I was young, but I'm going to tell you, the church I went to when I was young, we were the only ones going to heaven. The rest of y'all just going to hell is plain and simple. You weren't going to get a mansion. You were going to get a, uh, a shack in hell. We were the ones going to heaven. So the challenge is because we didn't have a cause greater than our care or concern about our theology. So in Numbers chapter 16, verse 47, Moses and Aaron are leading a bunch of disgruntled Israelites and trying to get them from their prison to God's promise. And they weren't always happy. If you've ever read the book of Exodus, they weren't always happy people. So that meant that Moses had been placed in charge of God's people, which meant that he had to deal and endure the criticism, the complaining, the whining. We could have died in Egypt. Why did you just leave us there? Why did you bring us out in the wilderness to die? These were the things that Moses was hearing. If you have a teenager, these are things that you're hearing. Why can't I have this? Why can't I have that? I need an iPhone 6 Plus. I need a 7 now. Why? Because Johnny has a 7. Well, tell Johnny's parents to buy you one too. But you persevere the criticism, the desires, and you're not fair and you're not nice and all of these things. And, and so Moses and Aaron are dealing with these disgruntled people. And here's what happens. Now listen to this. Because perseverance means that we're addressing some type of resistance to our pursuit. That, that some kind of hesitation or resistance has blocked us from getting to where we want to go. And, and you, you take a step forward, you get knocked back. Step forward, you get knocked back. How many times will you get up? You get up until you get on the other side of that. That's perseverance. And that's persistence. And it says Aaron grabbed the censer because God was about to take these people another direction as directed by Moses and ran into the midst of the congregation. The plague had already begun because Israel had been disobedient. It wasn't the judgment of God. It was the consequences of a dis disobedient people. And it says, he put burning incense into the censer and atoned for the people. He stood between the living and the dead and stopped the plague. Remember the scripture, if God be for us, who can be against us. A lot of people see God as against. Uh, he's against sin. He's against evil. He's against this. He's against that. Jesus didn't come to die for sin. He came to die for people. 
So most of the time, our mentality, our natural mentality is to stand against things instead of for things. <clears throat> In this case, Aaron was standing for the people. It says he stood between the living and the dead. In other words, he stepped into the midst of people. God is always about people. Our cause is about people. That's what this church is about. We're not building a church. We're building people to build his kingdom in our city and around the world. That's what we're doing. Our cause is not this gathering. This gathering is for the purpose of our cause. And our cause is to take the light that we possess and it's brightened in here and take it out into a world of darkness. That doesn't make the world bad. That makes the world great because Jesus gave his life for all of the world. So you're not against your co-worker. I've heard people talk about different uh you know, Catholics, Mormons, and Jehovah's Witnesses, and, and we're against this and we're against that. Why don't you start being for the people? A hundred percent of the people who don't like you will not be led to Christ by you. Some of them might even surprise you. What are you for? Instead of, what are you against? What we stand for is more important than what we stand against. Jesus died for us. He died so that we would have the power to deal with sin, to address sin, to be overcomers, to be more than conquerors. Jesus died for me. He did not die for my sin. We say, well, it's a play on words. Maybe it is, but the reality is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's about you. It's about you. Everything in heaven and everything in Christ is about us. And sometimes we get so caught up in, in feeling insignificant. and We get caught up in insecurities. And I've done too much. And, and, and I want us to get this. The reason we persevere is we have a cause beyond ourselves. I promise some of you have sat in church your whole life, and you will continue to sit in church. Because there's, there's a connection in your mind, because this is what religion does to us, between me sitting in church and me going to heaven. That's not how this works. Being in church is a place of equipping so that we can carry out the cause of Christ. That's what this is. So when, when you are, you're sitting here, you're not going to be real happy. You're going to probably critique the sermon, which always happens. So the cause has to be really great. I, you, know, you have to understand, I've been preaching now for a way long time. Some of you were not even a twinkle in your mom and dad's eye when I started this thing. And I'll never forget, I'd always heard that you have to deal with the criticism. Well, how do you deal with criticism? How do you not let that become a care in your life and care so much about what other people say you can't fulfill the call of God in your life? Some of you have quit doing certain things and going certain places because you care too much about what other people think about you and what they say about you. You just need to preach a couple of sermons and you'll either die or get over it. And so I'd been a youth pastor forever. I mean, I'd been, I mean, and with youth, you could say just pretty much anything you wanted. And I did. So when I started becoming an adult pastor, 
I'm thinking, I, I didn't really, I didn't, you know, y'all are kind of a little bit more, mm-hmm. And so, I, I, I like to laugh. I like to have fun. And that was always my way to teenagers was if I could get them to laugh, I could get to their heart. I had to loosen them up to plant the seed of God in their life. So I did. So I started doing that when I started Victory here in Oklahoma City. That's what I started doing. And, and people started coming. I was surprised. I, I was actually shocked. I was like, wow, there is a God. And then one day, in the midst of me having fun and having a wonderful time, and I thought everybody just loved me. Some of you are still working on it. And so this lady comes up to me, and how many of you know you can tell when someone really is getting ready to have fun at your expense? Words like, with all due respect, I don't mean to offend you, is an entry point to cutting your throat. And she had that look on her face. Some of you heard me tell this story. I never forget it. This lady helped me more than ever. I wish I'd see her again. Because that, that day turned everything around for me. It was a moment to challenge my political correctness or my freedom. And she looked at me and she says, and you know, women, man, they can do this thing with their hip. It's like, pop. It's like, oh, God, there's an earthquake. She popped her hip like that and she said, I'm leaving the church. I think she expected me to have a tear like the American Indian on that commercial with trash. And she, she expected me to have a tear running. I looked at her and I said, really? She said, yes. There's just too much levity here. I said, well, sweetheart, levitate on out because we're going to have fun. Now, some of you think that was very insensitive, I know. And for that, I apologize, but... It is what it is. I just figure it's either me or her. That I can, I can shift to be somebody I'm not, or I can just be me. My cause was not to make everybody happy. My cause was to preach the gospel in such a way that people choose to get the cause in them. And when you get it in you and you begin to do it, then you get happy. Until you begin to do it, you will never be happy. We were not created to go to church. We were created to be the church. And we come to the church to learn how to be the church so we can take the church outside the church building. Every clause, every cause includes other people. Every great cause includes people. Every great cause. There's not, if you want to get wealthy, that's great. I hope you do, and I hope you tithe. And if you go to Vegas and you win, I hope you tithe. If you go to Riverwind. Now, I know some of you are going to judge me for that. What I'm saying is, if, if the cause is wealth for the sake of giving and helping others, I believe wealth will come. If God can get it through you, He will get it to you. But if he can't get it through you, why should he get it to you? It's a proven fact that people who have won the lottery are divorced, miserable, and many of them kill themselves because they were not equipped to handle the money that they received. Why? Because it has to be connected to a cause. You know, my first, when I was young and started Victory, I'll just be honest with you, I was so shocked that God did what he did. 
that then I began to go to church growth conferences and I started thinking about building a big church and it happened. People say, well, what are you doing now? I say, I have a whole different cause. My cause now is to show leaders around the world that leaders like people sitting in chairs fail. And if we're going to preach, you can get up and God forgives, then bless God, we better get up and we better do what we're telling you you can do. So my cause now is I want to bring glory to God. You can't keep me down. You can slap me down, but I'm going to be like that bozo clown. I'm going to keep popping right back up. I am inflated by the Holy Ghost. And it's not arrogance. It's just I believe when you get knocked down and you get back up, I believe it brings glory to God because Jesus got knocked down, buried, and came back up and rose from the dead to carry out the cause and the destiny of God. You cannot keep people down who have a cause in their heart and are willing to walk it out. You cannot keep them down. So anybody who accuses you of being an arrogant Christian say, No, I just know the power of forgiveness. And when you get forgiven like I've been forgiven, the worst of all, you can't help but act like Tigger. You can't help but bounce around like you've been forgiven. We got too many sourpusses trying to tell people Jesus is good. Jesus is good. No, Jesus is awesome. You need to live life like you're ready to be drug tested any moment. You need to be that happy, that free. Because I'm telling you, when you've been forgiven much, you love much. And you act like you've been forgiven. You don't act like it's not done. It was done when Jesus said, it is finished. It's been finished for you. It's finished for me. I do every day. If a cause is not greater than your cares, then you don't really care about your cause. If your cause is not greater than your cares. Guys heard me say it. Just a, just a year and a month ago, I was sleeping on a floor in an extra bedroom in a friend's house in an inflated mattress that every night leaked. I woke up like I was in a taco. Bueno. And I, I just, when we were talking about this year anniversary, I was looking back going, I would have never dreamed that God would let me buy another house and have another church building and have a bunch of people like you that would just show up and say, let's do life together. But here's what it takes. You have to have a cause greater than your cares, and you have to care more about redemption than reputation. This thing's not about reputation. Look, we all fail. We all fall down. We all make mistakes. Most of us are trying to keep a good reputation instead of point people to a great Jesus. I tell you, my failure 
the greatest thing about it is, I'm going to tell you right now, is I feel God more than I've ever felt Him, and I know God more than I've ever known Him. And I'm telling you, He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. People say, well, you know, I don't want to talk. I can talk about anything because I'm telling you, when you're free, you just go, yeah. Yeah, stupid hits every one of us just at different times. And you just kind of go, hey, you know, this is not about reputation. The greatest story I have to tell may be the greatest story I've ever told. It's how God redeems a fallen leader who's taught leadership in, in five continents. You can go around and boast about that, all my reputation. Well, I don't even care about that. What I care about now is let, telling people that God forgives. God is full of grace. God is full of mercy. God restores. He redeems. You're not a lost cause if you possess His cause. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in, the, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Now let me talk about perseverance in this. How do we know when it becomes about reputation instead of redemption? Number one, anytime you start talking about your perseverance and how awesome you're doing, then it's no longer about redemption, it's about your reputation. It's called pharisaical living. It's called pharisaical giving. It, Persevering is like giving. When Jesus said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, he said, do it as unto me. So when we persevere, we don't persevere as martyrs. We persevere as believers. We persevere as people who give full credit to God for what's happening. We focus on God. We don't focus on us. I don't focus on how, oh, it's just been so hard, and I, I just want you to applaud me for all the difficulties I've been through the last three years. I want you to applaud Jesus, the one who raises people from the dead, the resurrecting Jesus. That's the focus. That's always the focus. We get distracted. We start thinking about what other people might say about us or think about us. Quite frankly, we get offended. That's the reason a lot of people don't go to church because they say, you offended me. Guess what? If you're offended, it's your responsibility. The Bible says in, in, in Psalm chapter 119, 165, great peace have those who love the law of God. Nothing shall offend them. You and I don't have to take offense. We open our hearts to offense. So when you do that, that means you care more about the care than the cause, more about your reputation than the redemption. Don't be offended. And if somebody ever tells you you offended me, say, you know what, you really shouldn't give me that much power. You really shouldn't. If I can offend you, I apologize. I, you've given me way too much authority and power. Because I belong to Jesus. The Spirit of God fills me. He has authority and power in my life. You don't have the authority to offend me. Now, you say, well, well, I had to learn this. Because in my world, 
when you preach to this many people and you've preached all over the world, you start caring about your reputation. What they think about me, what they say about me, I've got to say this right and that right. I don't say a lot of things right. I don't. I say things I shouldn't say. I know that. And you know that. And some of you just come just for those. <laughs> the only reason you're here is for my faux pas. We're not going to hear anything good. He says out of the Bible, but he'll say something stupid. I promise you, at least two out of three Sundays. He's going to say something no other preacher is going to say on earth today. You're just going to laugh. We, it's just, it is what it is. Point number three. We must have vision to stand by every decision. Every decision you and I make in order to persevere, there must be a vision before us. You have to see through the difficulty. You have to see through the criticism. You have to see through, if you will, the cross. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Well, if I'm going to be a cross carrier, I'm going to read about the one who carried the cross successfully. And I have to go, how did Jesus get through his criticism, his cross, his difficulty, his resistance, his opposition? How did he get through that? The Bible says, without a vision, my people perish. You know why I like, this morning I got up and listened to an hour of preaching before I ever started praying. Why? I want to get it in me. I want to get vision in me about what God has for me. I want to know about the promises of God, not the problems of man. And some of us get caught up. If you spend too much stinking time on Facebook, you'll start throwing up with everybody else who's throwing up. I want to respond so desperately. I do. I just want to say, you're so stupid. I don't care. But I'm a pastor. So I just tell it to Jesus. Jesus, they're so stupid. <laughs> Could you tell them for me? Would you just show up, Holy Ghost, and tell them they need to straighten the act up? So we get caught up in the world's problems and Facebook problems and Twitter problems and tweet this, post that, slap the picture up, whatever. <laughs> the problem with Instagram is it's so instant that you didn't think about it. You read it the next day. Did I say that? Delete, delete, delete. Erase, erase, erase. Out of the Amplified Bible. That doesn't mean it's louder. That means it's expanded. Okay, so. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us, let us run with endurance, that word in the Greek is also perseverance, and active persistence, which we saw with the guy knocking at the door asking for loaves, the race that is set before us. Now here's the challenge. We oftentimes get in somebody else's race. We get in somebody else's fight. 
we get into somebody else's argument. It says with a race that's set before us. I have a race to run. I wanted to run it on the beach. And God, I said, I want you to run it where the wind comes sweeping down the plains. And I want you to run into the wind. And in Oklahoma, you can do that in every direction on the same day. Looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity. Don't miss this. Who, for the joy of accomplishing the goal, set before him, endured, persevered the cross, disregarding the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. The joy set before him. The race set before him. When you suffer instead of persevere is when you don't look beyond the cross and the difficulty you're encountering. So persevering becomes suffering when you don't have a vision for your decision. We make decisions emotionally. Somebody hurt my feelings, so I'm going to hurt your feelings. Somebody talked about me, so I'm going to talk about them. Somebody hurt me, so I'm going to hurt them. And what you've just said is, I don't have a vision for the promise of God, and I don't have enough cause in me to get through the cross and the criticism I'm now encountering. Look, I know the workplace. I worked in it for years. Before I ever started preaching, I'm so thankful that I was one of those pastors that didn't start preaching at 18 and brag about it the rest of my life. I worked in the real world just like you. And I'm going to tell you right now, I know how difficult it is for some of you to walk into an office and have somebody start talking about the man and complaining about the company, complaining about how things are done. That's not persevering, that's suffering. I'm going to tell you, you get up tomorrow morning, you go to work happy, they will drug test you. No, if you want to be blessed by God, bless those in authority over you. Bless those in authority over you. But it's not right, they're stupid, they're idiots. Well, what does that make you? Because they're your boss. Oh, that didn't sail well either. See, the issue here is we live in an entitled society. The world owes me. No, the world doesn't owe us anything. Jesus paid for everything, and we're called to follow him. And quite frankly, to do that, it means take up your cross. That when somebody's mean to you, you're kind to them. When someone's unforgiving, you're forgiving. I don't like certain parts of the Bible, just being honest with you. Turn the other cheek? No, I want to exchange cheek for cheek. <laughs> Clarify. Anyway, so. You're slow, baby. You're slow. People who persevere keep vision before them at all times. The only way I get to stay is every day get up and know 
this cause that God has called me to is greater than anything else I care about. We all have feelings and emotions. There, you know, I used to tell people I quit every Monday and I start again every Tuesday. There were weeks I didn't start again until Thursday. It was just tough. Some of you do the same thing. You get up and, and it's great that you get up and you go. But you know what? Don't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Reach your hands to heaven and let him pull you up. You say, God, I will not give up. I will rise up. I will step up. I will stand up. I will speak up. And I will give you glory in my perseverance. Close with this thought. Every decision must run through the filter of vision. For without a vision, my people perish. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus was always seeing beyond his need. Always seeing beyond his crisis. Always seeing beyond unwarranted criticism. Always seeing beyond difficulty. Why? Because he saw you and he saw me. Thousands of years ago, Jesus saw us. He had a vision for all time. He had a vision for all people. And it was that vision, theologians say, and preachers especially, it was you and it was me that kept him nailed to that tree. It wasn't popularity. It wasn't reputation. He laid it down. It was all about redemption. And we are called to represent our Redeemer. That means we believe in all people at all times. Does it mean we, we like all people at all times? Does it mean that we always exercise perfection? It just means that we are going to persevere to get through that challenge. And it says, when he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he saw the crowds before he saw the needs. I've heard Christians say, find a need and meet it. No. Find a people group and love them. Because inside that love is the healing for every need they have. When he saw the crowds, not the pain, not the need, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the people out there, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers. Isn't it interesting that the Son of God, in a moment, could have changed everything? But he chose not to because he saw us. And he knew that people without a purpose will perish. People without a vision will perish. People without a cause will perish. And he said, I am depositing in you the greatest gift that there ever was. The greatest power ever known to man. I'm putting it in you. I'm leaving it with you because you need it to get over your cares. If you want to get happy and you're in the midst of your depression, start loving other people and God will take care of your depression. If you're hurting, find hurting people. He saw the crowds, helpless, he saw the people. We live in a society that's so fast-paced that when somebody asks, how you doing? We ask that question with the expectation that you're going to tell me everything's great. 
And I do it sometimes. Sometimes I'll call a friend of mine and say, you know what, it's just not good right now. It's not a negative confession. I say, I just need you to breathe life into me. I just need you to speak something to me. Come on, pump me up. Breathe some air into me. I need oxygen right now. And then I start getting on it. I am richly blessed, highly favored, empowered to prosper, walking in divine health, going from victory to victory and glory to glory. But with you praying for me, I'm going to get better. See, that's persevering. I'm not going to do woe is me. I might tell you I have an issue. But I'm going to come back and tell you, let me tell you, I'm going to get up more times than I fall down. I'm going to stand up more times than I slip up. Why? What are the options? If I don't, what I've said to you and what I've said to the world is the cross has lost its power. And I will never defame my Savior. I will never lay down on him when he didn't lay down on me. Persevere. Don't give up. Have a cause that's greater than every care in your life. Don't think of so much about your reputation. Think about his redemption. And don't make a decision without a vision that comes from the Spirit of God and the Word of God. You can do this. We can do this. We persevered Noah's event venue every Sunday. I'd go in there and see that chiffon. My estrogen levels went up. My voice got higher and I felt so sissified. Chiffon. Mark Crow preaching under chiffon. Ugh. We persevered. We persevered. And God said, okay, you passed the Noah exam. <laughs> there was chiffon in the whale. <laughs> God help us, really. Lord, I thank you for all these people and those watching online. God, laughter is good medicine. Your word says. and So, Lord, I, I just thank you for a group of people that, that are willing to enjoy faith. We stand for faith. We stand for redemption. We stand for grace. We stand for mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done in the past year. And I thank you for all the incredible people that have served so faithfully and persevered with me with us to go from where we were to where we are and Lord we'll persevere and we'll go from here to wherever we're not anywhere near done God because we have a cause that's greater than our care Lord we love our city we love this nation and we love the world that you've put us in God and we pray that you would help us in fact do what our mission statement said reach a city change a nation and touch the world that's our cause God We'll never finish it in our lifetime, so it's a great cause to have. But while we're here, we're going to do everything we can to make that statement become a reality. In Jesus' name, amen.